And so someone in the family found it and shared it. And I remember sitting there in my office and there were names in the document who were listed as property of names that I had heard through my childhood. I just wept. I closed the door to the office and I just wept. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with the document. I didn't know what to do with those feelings. I had no clue. I was just flabbergasted to see the names of my ancestors in this document. Hmm. I don't know Hmm. if I've shared this with y'all, but I am only third generation post-enslavement on my father's side, only generation three. Jason and Yvonne Lee, wife, husband, father, mother, actors, producers, and seekers, educators, explorers of identity. You're listening to Lagerlein Spirits, a delicious podcast where we invite you into our living room for a family spirit symposium, a real talk meeting of the minds over reverent cocktails. Join us as we dive back in time to examine the legacy of our ancestors that have shaped the stories of our shared cultural history. You can find all of our cocktail recipes and show notes on lagralanespirits.com. And as always, please enjoy. Responsibly. Whether on our own or with assistance, we must find a way to take action to preserve our stories and to amplify our voices. We must be self-supporting. History has shown us what happens when we are not. Welcome to Logger Lane Spirits, dear listeners. Um, Yvonne? Yes, Jason? Have I told you how much I love you? Oh, man, here we go. What happened? Well, 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 can't I tell my wife I love her? Depends. <sighs> What's on your mind, honey? Ah, uh, a lot. <laughs> Let me unpack what's on my mind. Um, Okay. This episode is about how we need to take some deliberate action in order to continue to shift narratives and build equity into our societal foundations. Now, (laughs) the other day you were talking about the Freedmen's Bureau from 1865. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk about shifting narratives, right? And for you listeners, yes, I actually was just talking about the Freedmen's Bureau because sometimes our weekly company meetings turn into a banter of cultural trivia. Uh, just a, quickly, a shout out to Girl Trek, who took me on a walk and took me down this path, and I love them for that. Mm. For everyone who wasn't there when I was listening to Girl Trek and, and not in our company meetings, and, and for those that don't know, the Freedmen's Bureau was responsible for helping post-Civil War refugees. Largely, they helped Black folk get back abandoned and confiscated property, reunite with family, legalize marriage that happened during slavery, and help soldiers get pensions and back pay to help the formerly enslaved become self-sufficient. The Bureau was in action for three years. The entire movement was about taking action. 
And the Bureau also helped with the establishment of schools in the South, people staying behind to make change, you know, like they didn't choose a freedom that others were embarking upon because these four thinkers had to change the narrative. I'm imagining this fierce collective of uh, teachers staying behind to not only make sure that black kids still had access to education, but also almost more importantly, to help change the narrative of what these kids had been told about themselves, to be told Mm -hmm. and taught that they were worthy, mm-hmm. that they were capable of something different or something other, you know? And I think about how those sparks of action ignited those kids, even if just one of them to do the same for someone else down the road. And and whether directly or not, I am related to that moment. Yvonne, you are related to that moment. Isn't it, isn't it like tracing a family tree to our personal history. We we both hold some black blood and identify as black mm-hmm. along with the other identities we hold. And I hope we are continuing what was happening in those classrooms. Do you, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think I do, Jason. It's like we've been given this opportunity to take up the unfinished business of the Freeman's Bureau, right? Mm. And to take up the business of of any prosperous town, of any uh, future forward thinker who was extinguished too quickly. And we all know that we can come up with what those names are and who those people are. Right now, that's what our job is, to carry on the work that always ends too quickly. Just to piggyback that thought, Yvonne, isn't that every generation's responsibility? And from the Reconstruction era to now, it's every generation seems to get to a point where the realization comes in that it's our turn to pick up a narrative and run with it one way or the other, whether we agree with how it's being picked up or not, whether we are reactive or proactive to the situation. That just seems to be what this moment is that we're that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if we don't take action now with the resources that we have, we're not letting down that those that came before us, but those that are coming after us, like thinking in terms of, you know, what I've learned from the indigenous community in the sense that they think about seven generations after them. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, we we are the Freedmen's Bureau of today. (laughs) <laughs> or an artsy activist branch of it, I suppose. So, you know. Sometimes <laughs> when I hear you spitting wisdom like that, I, I I wonder how I got so lucky. Oh, we're like biscuits and gravy, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, can I just say, it is such a reflective moment for me in this moment. Here we are recording this podcast about how to change narratives. And in the grand history of things, we are a small blip in the world even in this moment right here. Yet, it is so gratifying to know that we still hold some power because we are working to make a change in what may seem small ways. And that small drop of change from everybody, okay, me, you, the people who are listening, can make a tidal wave. It feels really good. And really microcosmic at the same time, right? I mean, 
it helps me to understand my place in taking action rather than just looking at how big and insurmountable and impossible the odds are stacked against us, right? Like, why would we say anything or create an advance and narrative of unity and equity and inclusion and diversity in a society that doesn't want it or that would be a bit defeatist, right? But now this, mm-hmm. this being our second to last episode of the season. I hope our listeners are also inspired to go out, make that film, write that pilot script, produce that project, tell that, tell their story that is going to come from their own voice. Whew. Yes, yes, mm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I think we forgot something. Oh, I got so deep in my history feelings, I almost forgot one of the major reasons we're here. The cocktail! <laughs> Did our listeners really just get through all of that without a drink? <laughs> I'm impressed. Okay, what are we having tonight, Jason? So for tonight's drink, I thought that I would create a new drink, actually built upon the specs of existing drinks, but I wanted to rename a drink for our purposes tonight. And so the cocktail that we're drinking tonight is called the Bureau 68. Our discussions of the Freedmen's Bureau, which if you don't know, the original name of the department that was created was the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands. And that bureau was in existence primarily from 1865 to 1868. It went on until about 72 in different iterations. But so the cocktail we're drinking is inspired by the history of the Freedmen's Bureau, and we are calling it the Bureau 68. The specs are, I've poured two and a half ounces of Hein Cognac, three quarters ounce of Ramazzotti, Amaro, a half ounce of a combination of citrus, a lime, lemon juice, quarter ounce of simple syrup. And then if you know me at all, if you've been listening to our podcast, you know how much I appreciate and adore bitters. And so we have some dashes of Angostura, and we also have some dashes. And when I say some, uh, you can go as many as you want, basically. I don't say like one dash. (laughs) I say like, you know, go dashes. And for our purposes tonight for a garnish, we are using two blackberries. Mm -hmm. And uh, you shake that up. Blackberries. Blackberries. Black. And you shake that up and pour. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) so cheers well cheers it's delicious it is delicious and refreshing it has a seriousness to it but a lightness to it because of the acid it's golden coloration it's lovely thank you it's my first original recipe built upon the specs of others but through my lens of access i have brought together these ingredients for us to sip upon we know what I like about the, the name of it, too, is when you say Bureau 68. There might be people who think like 68 as in, you know. Summer of love. Summer of love, you know, all that. <laughs> but there's, it's the 60, 1868 and 1968. Like there were these similar things that were happening about taking action. And so, yes. but then you understand that it's the Freedmen's Bureau. And then it all of a sudden takes us even further back into history about where we've come from and, you know, yes. all the excellence that was happening in post-reconstruction. So it's all the intelligence and the talent and the leadership and the love and the yeah. joy that was left out of history books. 
when you taste it, it has the combination of, of like the remembrance of all of these accomplishments, but also, you know, when you talk about bitters, right? Like the bittersweetness of success cut short. And from a historical lens, I'm just fascinated by those that rise up against something that's in front of them and confront it. Whether they succeed Mm -hmm. or not is up for historians to write about. But the urge in peoples to confront what is up in front of them, it has been going on for centuries. Yeah. One of the things that we're trying to do is to use our own personal story to help you on your own personal journey. Because I I love Mm -hmm. hearing other people's personal stories because it's always quite inspiring. But, you know, in our work with Logger Lane, we've been dipping our toes into telling our own stories and developing our own stories. Like currently we we have a short called Lifeline that's been hitting the festival circuit that Jason, you know, my husband, Jason, Mm -hmm. you wrote it and directed it about your own personal story. And it's been beautiful. And we want, uh, eventually, you know, we want that to make its debut as a feature and have a larger platform. And then even personally me taking my own steps and y'all have strong knuckled me into directing my first short by the end of the year. Yes. Um, And I'd say, honestly, it didn't take much convincing, but it did because it is a little scary (laughs) to be able to do things like that. So if you have some fear and anxiety, it's okay because I'm feeling it too. It's we all got it. Girl, girl, you've got this. (laughs) Thank you. You got this. Thank you very much. So what are other examples of how we're trying to take action? We're also working with our dear friend, Nambi E. Kelly, on a book adaptation of Infants of the Spring which is a book that Jason read. And from the beginning inception of our company was like, this is amazing. Visually, this is stunning. I want to, I want us to talk about Harlem in this way, the Harlem Renaissance. You know, if you don't know the book, the Freedmen's Bureau is going to come for you in your sleep. <laughs> <Don't> educate <laughs> totally you. kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Everyone should have at least heard of this book. It's Wallace Thurman's best known work. And it's a satirical and scathing look at the 1920s Harlem Renaissance. It's all about Black people creating the space for us to be able to comment on ourselves rather than somebody else doing it. That's about all I can say about that project, except that, you know, it's a damn good script. Yes. And Infants is actually the first project to kick off our Logger Lane Initiate, the original project wing of our film company. And Yvonne, like you said, I brought Infants of the Spring as a book that I read 30 years ago when I was in, in college. That's how Infants came to us. And uh, Ben Nambi E. Kelly was the perfect writer, right, Yvonne, to come on in and help us adapt this book. She lives in Harlem, born nearby where the manor was that Wallace Thurman himself talks about within the book. Her aunt wrote a stage play version of Infants of the Spring that premiered in Chicago in the early 90s. Michael Shannon was one of the stars right. of, of that play at Timeline. Uh, we didn't know that coming in. And it, I mean, just the serendipitous connections that have been circling around Nambi's uh, adaptation for us, it's been astonishing. And it just was like, yes. wow, you're the right person. Nambi, are you there? Hey, beauty. Hello. We are so happy to have you here. We were Nambi here. Kelly. We made it to this day. Nambi hey. Evelyn Kelly, how are you, sister? Oh, so happy to be with y'all today. This is lovely. It's great to be with you, too. Thank you for taking the time to come talk to us. 
Yeah. When do we drink? Well, that's I, right now. <laughs> <laughs> you could drink at any moment I'm, if you'd I'm, like to I'm, take I'm, a little sippy sip. Yes, ma'am. I mean, right about now. <laughs> so today is my um, my class reunion, and I'm not there. Oh. So, well, to to your to your class reunion. Cheers, mm-hmm. my friend. Chinky, chinky. Cheers, Bond Student Metropolitan Science Center, class of nineteen. <laughs> right on, right on. Mm-hmm. 19. Okay. All you got to say is 19. We're with you. We're, I'm right there with you. Just, it's all in the 19. I know. If you say 19, it's already over. It, it's okay. Um, <laughs> okay, everybody. I just wanted to let everybody who's listening uh, hear a little bit about this wonderful woman that we're about to speak to. Miss Nambi E. Kelly. Mm-hmm is an award-winning actress, playwright. Uh, is, she is currently a television co-producer on Peacock's Bel Air. Her stage adaptation of Richard Wright's Native Son has been seen across the country and premiered off-Broadway to multiple Drama League Award nominations and winning Best Play at the Adelco Awards. Nambi was also chosen by Toni Morrison herself to adapt her novel, Jazz, former playwright in residence at the National Black Theater, the Goodman Theater, and the Dramatist Guild Fellow, and recipient of the 2020 NNPN Annual Commission. Nambi is also a, my goodness, this is so lovely. <laughs> Nambi is also a Prince Prize winner, developing a play on the life of Stokely Carmichael for Court Theater in Chicago to premiere in the 23-24 season. Her first production company, First Woman, is currently producing a digital and national tour of Nambi's young audience's play, Jabari Dreams of Freedom. She is in development with several other TV projects, and you can find this lady. You can see it also be in the show notes at nambikelly.com, jabari-dreams-of-freedom.com, and firstwomaninc.com. Oh my goodness, yes. Nambi! It is so beautiful to see how gorgeous your career. <laughs> Just to say all that makes me feel good. That's right, about I, you. <laughs> Nambi. Nambi, it's it's ama- it's it's so good to have you on our podcast. We go way back. We go back into those nineteen. Back to the back back. Yvonne, Nambi, and I all came up in the Chicago theater scene, and Nambi and I had the opportunity to work on. A, it was my Goodman debut. Well, it, it was our debut. Regina Taylor's Drawn and Crow back in the day. And it's just great to see how your uh, career is flourishing both on stage and with pen in hand. And and for our listeners, when Yvonne and I first started dating in Chicago, we had a New Year's Eve party. Oh my God, you're going to tell people that story. <laughs> I'm going to tell people that story. I'm going to tell people that story. It was not, I'll, I'll, I'll even date it, ladies. I know better oh than to date y'all, but I will no. date it. That what happened was 1998. And we were having a New Year's Eve party to go into 99. And nobody showed up. We had the food spread. We had the drinks out. Nobody showed up. Even my brother, even my roommate, (laughs) nobody showed up except for you, Nambi. And uh, you walked in, hung out with us for a little bit. And then you were like, all right, I got to go, (laughs) y'all. I got to be somewhere at midnight. I got to be somewhere now. Y'all have fun now. (laughs) Yeah. Rich history of friendship, of theater, of supporting each other in the journeys that we've all been on. And we are thrilled to have you on our podcast. Oh, well, I'm so happy to be here. Dig, dig. So 
today we've we've been talking about the Freedmen's Bureau, how that moment was about changing the narrative around access, making sure or at least making an effort to get folks a chance to sustain themselves. We're equating this with art and theater and filmmaking, making sure we are taking action to contribute to our own narrative. It's what we're doing in the theater art space with our lower depth, in the film space with our La Land. You're doing it but through, through all of the vehicles that you're creating, the projects that you're working on. You have a style and a voice that seems to have always been about reclaiming history or at least keeping history alive with new perspectives. What do you think about both being an actress and a writer, how you seek out opportunities for yourself, but also put the ladder back down and provide opportunities for others to shine? I think it certainly has changed over the decades that we have been um, working as artists. Um, I think that obviously now there's much more access and I often think about like, what if like Lagra Lane and Lord Depps existed, you know, 25 years ago, like how things mm. would be different um, uh-huh. or not. But I think in, in terms of myself, like the way I think about art is um, I really just kind of follow my soul. I know that sounds so like Pollyanna, but I really do mean that. And so in terms of access, like for myself as an artist, like I always trust that what is meant for me is going to come to me. And even if something comes to me and it goes away, then that means it wasn't mine. So I've been very lucky slash blessed, like things come to me and they, they grow me. And I, and I look at things in that way, like this project is coming to me. My agent called me about this gig because there's something I'm supposed to learn and there's something I'm supposed to give. And so my challenge in those spaces is what I'm supposed to learn, being open to learning and then being present to giving as much as I possibly can. And so, and how that turns into now that I'm producing more, um, like my intentionality um, is always to create space for people to to sort of stretch and get your feet wet. And I know this is not maybe not your dream, but while you're in my presence, I want you to be the best that you can possibly be and then fly and do the thing that you want to do if this is not it. And that's how I approach with, particularly I'm thinking about the national tour that I just produced. And it was very difficult. (laughs) Like that was hard. I was doing it by myself. I've never done it before in my life is a national is tour Jabari. premiering in New York. This is Jabari Dreams of Freedom. That's right. That's premiering right. in New York at the New Victory on 42nd and Broadway. Come on. Now. And wow. I was like, okay, I got to do this by my dammy. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I need a team. And so, yeah. but like assembling a team through the pandemic when you're self-funding, yeah, mm. it just, it kicked my butt. And then I got sick, as y'all know. And I had to hire a line producer to step in for me. But like, I was, I'm paying people salaries. Like, what? Who am I? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, how many people? There's yeah. 20 people on my payroll. How did that have happened? <laughs> but I think ultimately, right. Like, ultimately, it was it was super rewarding because these are people who maybe wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. There's a young lady in our company named Colette Ambo, who's a very talented and wonderful human being. And just such a team person. And she's from an island somewhere. I can't remember where. 
But like she never she didn't know anything about, you know, black history in the States, let alone Mm. American history, let alone like, oh, now I'm going to Iowa. Now I'm going to Florida, like to be able to see these places and to be able to give her that opportunity was wonderful. It was Mm -hmm. wonderfully rewarding to watch her grow into that part and just to own it. And by the end of the run, like she was like single-handedly like getting standing ovations. (laughs) It was just like, you know, but that was great. Like to give people the opportunity, because I don't know if the two of you have toured, but I've toured. And there's something about being on the road with a group of people and doing art that is just, it's magnificent. And so to be able to be a conduit for that, in a work that mattered. Jabari, Dreams of Freedom, is a play that was commissioned by Chicago Children's Theater, was produced in Chicago in 2015, that unfortunately there's a huge need for it because stuff is so messed up with Black folks, you know? And mm-hmm. and I think about the children a lot. Like, how are the children processing the pandemic? How are the children right. processing the death of George Floyd? And y'all have kids, right? So you're up yep. in the trenches with this. Yep. I'm peripheral, but still, mm-hmm. like, it consumes me. Like, I have a yeah. niece, I have a nephew, and they're a little bit older, but it's still like, how are you processing this? How are they processing this? How are they, they going to move forward from this moment and not be sick? Right. Yeah. That's something that really drives me. Yeah. Like you said, we have kids at Grace. We're having conversations with our with our oldest, who is a new teenager now. She a new teenager now. Just turned uh, June 6th. Just turned she and my niece and have she, the same birthday. Yes. She's bugging out on 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 everything. Right. I'm trying to talk to her about, you know, Uvalde and what went down in Texas. And she's like, no, no, I can't even form the words in her mouth. The 2020s are insane. I mean, American history has a lot of insane moments. These past couple of years are, are, are in there. And I applaud you for using your art to bring awareness to your audiences. I applaud you because y'all doing the real work, you know? And, and what I mean by like being a parent at this moment in history for Black children, I can't imagine what the burden, the crown is that the two of you carry um, walking through the world with that responsibility, like it's huge. It's huge. It's the biggest and most important job in the world, in my opinion. And I applaud both of you for, you know, not only parenting, but also creating opportunities for other people. Cause that's parenting as well. Right. Like the way you've shepherded these two companies is in the way you've created opportunities for people to shine and fly. Like it's beautiful and it's generous and it's going to change lives. It is changing lives, you know? And so I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. The big part of it is, you know, making sure that they have to be able to process what's happening in the world, but maintaining self-identity, maintaining self-love, maintaining a sense of like, how do you actualize kindness towards other people? Like what are the actions you take in order to be kind to people and know that that energy that you put out in the world, it comes back. So we can be scared, then we have to be courageous. And, Ooh, and, and, and go then, ahead, Ma. Yes. <laughs> and that's where art comes in, right? Absolutely. I feel like does. I need 12 million breaths. <laughs> I feel like I need a cocktail. So with this, <laughs> and this is a proper segue, Nambi, are you ready for your cocktail confession? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So Yes, I did it. Okay. <laughs> here's the question for you. Here's the question. I'm going to take a quick drink. Yep. Quick sips, drink. sips. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're going to talk about some serious things that might make you want to pour something into a glass. Here's our question. How do you personally take action 
to shift the narrative? And what advice would you give to folks coming up behind us and even those already in the room to take Mm -hmm. action to shift the narrative? Oh, wow. How do I take action to shift the narrative? It's connected to my parents and the loss of them. And the understanding that time is limited and precious and you only get so far to run with the baton and your job is to pass it back once you get to the end of the race, right? That's the thing that drives me is thinking about the people who went before and how hard they worked for us to have the freedom and the luxury in the middle of the day to have a cocktail. Mm-hmm, that's right. And that's the thing that gets me out of bed. I'm a person who prays. So every morning I pray and I thank God, spirit, universe for everything that is, you know, able to move through me in the time that I've been gifted to be here. Because what else us going to do? Right. But be grateful and keep rolling, keep running, keep passing the baton. And as far as people that are coming behind me, I highly encourage. I know what works for me and what works for me is to have a spiritual life. What works for me is to have my mornings at the park across the street, you know, with nature. Um, And there's a we're across from Morningside Park and there's a beautiful pond over there. And I literally like between 4 and 6 p.m. when I get a break from the writer's room, like I'll walk over there and I'll just sit and I'll watch the ducks. And so two days ago, there was this gorgeous family of ducks, like just like there was a daddy and a mommy and the babies and they were just doing their thing, swimming. It was so beautiful, like to fill your spirit with those moments, you know, because that's the armor when you talk about the world and how little our society seems to care for children, you know, and the things that impact them, like to be able to fill your spirit, your heart, your mind, your soul with the things that are beautiful in life and the people that you love and, and being present to conversations and looking people in the eye and meeting heart to heart and telling the truth. And I really think that for me, like, Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that get me jobs. When I meet people with their humanity, not with, oh, what you going to do for me? You know, but like like a soul to soul, we're on a journey together. And what are we going to give each other as human beings so that I can give this to my child or this to my cat or this to my man or this? You know, the art to me is living. Right. Like it's the art of living. And so. If, if you're the master artist, if you understand that you're the master artist, and I don't mean to have colonizing language using the term master, because I know some people are like, well, master, ain't it? What I mean is, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> if you I got are you. in charge, you're in charge boss. of your life, mm-hmm. boss, you create your life, you're the artist. And so fearlessly fill yourself with love, with joy, with laughter, with this is Tuesday, poolside barbecue. That's, you know? that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Our last meeting, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's like, what else, what else are you going to do, you know? And there seems to, for me, there needs to be an understanding of the times that were once lived that allow us to live the times that we are living now in order to create the world that we want our children and, and our children's children and our children's children's children 
to live in in the future. And it's not all burn it all down to the ground. What do y'all think about that? Hmm. Well, there are some things I'd like to burn down to the ground that I don't think I'm going to mention on this particular. (laughs) (laughs) I think there has to be a deep respect for history because if it's not spoken about, then that means it's not dealt with. And that means it will, uh, if it's history that's not dealt with, then it can repeat itself in a way and continue a cycle. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that you can burn something down if you actually understand everything about it. Mm, but to burn like something that. down without understanding the history, how far back it goes, who it's affected, those kinds of things, you're not really getting rid of it. Nambi E. Kelly, you have worked with us at Lagra Lane on an awesome, exciting, wonderful adaptation of Wallace Thurman's Infants of the Spring, the Harlem Renaissance novel. And there's so, so much goodness in your adaptation. There's a speech in it that I want to read real quick. What does it matter what any of you do so long as you remain true to yourself? Why not let each young hopeful choose his own path? One cannot make movements, nor can one plot their course. When the work of a given number of individuals during a given period is looked at in retrospect, then one can identify a movement and evaluate its distinguishing characteristics. Individuality is what we should strive for. Let each seek his own salvation. History will do the rest. To me, anything else is unintelligent. What do y'all think about that? That whole passage makes me think of um, that's the freedom like that's the freedom that we're all searching for that it really is about our own individuality and being able to strive for it in the same way any person regardless of color should be able to do mm. you know? and so mm-hmm. when I when I when I hear it in the way that you read it so beautifully husband um <laughs> I think there's a part of the goal where that privilege is actually not afforded to everybody. But that's what we want. That's what I want. So that's why using story to change the narrative so that everybody can have that freedom of being your own individual. And um, if you do that, history will begin to shift and bend towards your way. And there will be things in life that will not allow you, that will lump you based on the way that you look, based on what they believe about your history. And yeah, so that's what that really makes me think of. The way to shift the narrative is to be your most authentic self. And the most authentic self thereby engages in the community and creates change for others, right? It's the hero comes home with the elixir and it gives and gives it to the people and the people are changed, you know? Like you have to go on the journey and and be true to who you are and um and that's how you that's how you change and for me that's going to the park in the middle of the day and sitting with ducks <laughs> you know it, right that's right that's, yes. that's my individual bliss joy freedom as my dad would say bliss freedom but yeah because us as as black folks like we don't get to be individuals there's always this at least historically this pressure of are you going to serve yourself or are you going to serve the people? 
Right, hmm, right. You know? Right, yeah. right. And it's like you serve the people by serving yourself. Right. <laughs> you know? That's how I think about it. I love that. Because there's, Be no, there's, no, there's no difference. Exactly. There's no separation between me and you and us as as one. So if I'm loving me, I'm loving you. That's how I think about it. Like it's not either or, it's yes and. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think what I love too, I'm just looking at your body of work again that, that we talked about earlier. I mean, all of these people in history that have affected us in such great ways with their novels, you know, Native Son, Toni Morrison with his politics, Stokely Carmichael, and then understand that Jabari Dreams of Freedom was actually, it was inspired by your nephew, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I feel like all of those, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what are the steps that you take in order to help switch the narrative? And I feel like each of those have like very distinct ways. You're like, okay, this is how I'm going to change the narrative with this story. This is how I'm going to do it with that story. Could you speak to a little bit about each of those projects? Because I think people can get a sense and an idea of like, if you are an artist, if you are not an artist, these are the ways that you can create change and change the narrative. Sure. I I think for me, they were projects that someone came to me and said, hey, Nambi, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And I think that that's part of what I was speaking about earlier about like finding out when something comes to me, what am I supposed to learn and what am I supposed to give? And because my dad was a historian and a documentarian, I'm always drawn to stuff that is historical as opposed to hysterical. But <laughs> but forgive me, I couldn't help it. I heard it in my no, head. That's I, had what, to say I love it. it. <laughs> uh, that worked. It works. It works for me. I'm a, his, I'm, a, I'm a hysterical historian myself. Because I believe that, this is going to sound wild, but I I believe that ancestors, they're like, okay, this needs to get out. And who's going to be my conduit for this? And I'm open, right? I believe in history and I believe in going back to go forward, right? And so with Native Son, like it was super important to me. That piece was written in the wake of Trayvon Martin's murder slash um acquittal of What's-His-Face, whose name I will not speak. But uh, that changed the trajectory of that work because I was alive and open. Richard Wright would come to me in dreams and he'd just sit there, which he wouldn't say anything. And so what that said to me was, all right, you're on the right path because if, if, if you weren't, he wouldn't be here, right? But really like in terms of agency was like, I could do an old stodgy adapt of this thing and you can walk away and be like, that was so beautiful, beautiful, right? Or I can put you inside this young black boy's mind, which whether or not you agree with his choices, you're going to understand it. You're going to understand the thing that made him. And so in that space, in terms of alignment, in terms of baton passing, like Richard Wright's intentionality was, I'm going to show you the monster that you've created. My point of view is that Bigger Thomas was not a monster. He was a brilliant young man who didn't have agency. I'm going to put you inside his mind so you can see how brilliant he was slash is because he lives forever because he's a character. And so that you have to engage with the forces that didn't allow him to fly, literally did not allow him to be as brilliant as he was, like to be able to calculate all of these steps he took to save his life. And I, I think that's important. It's important that we particularly get inside Black people because we're so used to just watching us from this other gaze 
that is not authentic to who we are. What you did in that was awesome to show everything you just spoke to. We're human. Everyone is much more complex than we are oftentimes given credit for. Now, out there, some, some people ain't that complex. Some people ain't that deep. So, <laughs> but some people are. And, some and people if, are if, out of wine. Some, some, some people need another pour of some wine. <laughs> but if you are, and like you said, he's a character and Bigger Thomas is that complex and you crack that open beautifully. So thank you for that exploration as a black man uh, in, in Native Son, because that showed a complexity that we don't get to see that often. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. That piece is really close to my heart. It's a novel that I loved since I was a child because I knew the street mm. names. I was like, oh, Cottage right. Grove, that's, right. that's down the street. And I love seeing the way it continues to morph into storytelling, you know, like the way The Wizard of Oz is like the backbone of so many stories, but people don't speak about it. Like mm -hmm. Native Son is, is also on that level. I'll see it. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Native Son, <laughs> you know? Yes, mm. yes. But like wow. Richard Wright was a, a question on Jeopardy and nobody got it. And I was furious. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't know Richard Wright? I was like, who's Richard Wright? And none of them knew it. There's another play that I'm working on that um, I want to talk to you all about, actually, because it's a National New Play Network commission. Mm -hmm. um, but this play, I don't know if I told you all this, that my family found the will of the person who owned our people, owned in quotes, owned our family. And I wrote a play yes, about it. Yes, you mentioned that once. Yeah, we just did it in New York at the WP in a pipeline festival. We only did an excerpt of it. It's a one-woman show. Karen Aldridge did it. People leapt Love to their Karen. feet. She had script in hand. And people were like, oh, my God. Uh, like the material, her performance. But that particular play, because it's very personal, is definitely like the activism part of this conversation. Like uh, my activism is telling the truth, right? And it's telling right the truth about the impact of this particular document on generations of Black folks, myself included. And so this play spans time. It crosses the eve of the emancipation of Dr. Of, uh, Barack Obama. It crosses the eve of, uh, of emancipation. It crosses the eve of Dr. King's assassination. And it shows regular folks who are all connected through that document mm -hmm. and how those moments in time and how they were navigating it. And it's a poem, you know, like the whole play is a poem. And it's really like, like, how do you impact change? I think, I mean, and, and this is not new. That's like, you, you just tell it. the truth. Tell the truth. That's how you <laughs> do it. Tell the truth. That's how you do it. Well, you we, live your authentic truth. So, you know, this whole podcast idea was built around ancestry and exploration of the past and truth and storytelling. So this is a, another art form that you can use to express yourself. You know, when we answer that big question that it's just about telling your truth and it does take those moments of watching the ducks go across the pond. It does take reflection so that you can understand what that truth is. And then it's interesting, like when you found those papers and the truth, maybe the whirlwind is happening and then those papers are thrust in front of you. Like, how did you feel? Because I imagine people get the truth set out in front of them and then they get overwhelmed and then they don't know what to do and then they don't know how to take action, right? So how did you feel when you got those papers and then knew what to do? Well, it was 2019. I was in LA in a writer's room and I was in my office 
and I was sitting and I was, our family has a group Facebook chat, like cousins I've never met. My grandfather, Texas, 13 brothers and sisters. So my family is huge, right? And so someone in the family found it and shared it. And I remember sitting there in my office and there were names in the document who were listed as property of names that I had heard through my childhood. I just wept. I closed the door to the office and I just wept. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with the document. I didn't know what to do with those feelings. I had no clue. I was just flabbergasted to see the names of my ancestors in this document. I don't know if I've shared this with y'all, but I am only third generation post-enslavement on my father's side, only generation three. My father was the second, my grandfather was the first. Now my grandfather was on the young end. My grandfather was on the young end the baby end of his siblings. You know, he wasn't the baby. So that's why the math computes. Yeah. My grandfather was born in 1892, John Quincy Adams Kelly. He's born in in 1892. JQA, grandman, we used to call him. It's not that far removed from us. And so when you think about agency, even within the context of my family, like the way my grandfather dealt with that legacy, he got two degrees. Hmm. Right. He's Hmm. like, you're not keeping me down. He got two degrees. My grandfather ran for public office as a Republican because blacks were Republicans back then. That's how long ago this was. Right. right. My father, the way he dealt with it was he got his Ph.D. at 29 from Columbia, which is why I was born in New York up the street. And so the way I deal with it is I have that document in my hand and I didn't initially in that moment think this is going to become a piece of art because I was just so flabbergasted that it existed. But because I'm open to everything that comes to me, like Tiffany Trent back in the day, Mm -hmm. Tiffany, wonderful director, dramaturg in Chicago. Yes. She used to say to me, she used to say, Nambiance. She used to call me Nambiance. She said, Nambiance, you're a sponge. Just like everything that happens to you ends up in your plays. And, and so I'm in this relationship with this Daniel Carlton, wonderful, brilliant, amazing artist. He'll come see my plays. And he says to me, he's like, you don't waste nothing, do you? <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like, it's not conscious. It's not conscious. It just it just rolls out of me. And so I literally got this commission to take it full circle. I got the commission and I kind of had this idea. Oh, it's going to take place in three different time periods and it's connected by a family heirloom. And I was shocked when I figured out that the heirloom was the document. Mm. I had been thinking the doc, the heirloom was like, oh, it's a ring. It's a necklace. It's right. a book. No, boo. It's this thing right here. And right. it's this document with your ancestors' names on it. And how do you transcend that? And so I was like, well, it's in the play. The play is this, this woman <laughs> is having dreams. She's dreaming about ancestors that she's never met. And she doesn't know she's related to them. And then she finds their name in the document. And she finds out, oh, my God, they've been talking to me this whole time. That's the play. Wow. Okay. And I put it in the play, word for word. And this wonderful doc- director named Michelle Ross, wonderful person. She's worked with Jeremy O. Harris on d- mm. d- um, directing some of his stuff. And she she was like, well, I feel like in this world where you've brought all these ancestors, well, you've got all of these this beautiful, sacred voices in this, this, why is the slave master's name? Words 
what? what? Hmm. And she did it with such grace that, pun intended, that was for y'all, such <laughs> grace <laughs> that I was like, you know what? She's right. Why would I give this voice? Why would I give this voice in 2022? And I cut it. I hmm. cut the document. But she talks about it. She finds it. She, she reads it. But the audience is never have to never has to endure hearing the ridiculousness that is in this document, and that's right. Wow. That's yeah. that's the next generation taking the baton and taking away the agency of that doc. And if she hadn't yeah. said burn that, I might not have gotten burn it. it. Down. Burn it down, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. that's mm-hmm. the shit you burn down. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so the play it has this whole metaphor of water, like and so, so you think about fire, water. Um, it's all about water and about how we've always been connected through water since the beginning and end of time. Mm-hmm. And so she holds, this woman can't cry. She finds the document in the play. I'm going to give it away. She finds the yeah. document in the play. She holds it in her hands and the tears melt the document because her tears are laced with the healing from her ancestors. And that's why, that's, that's what makes it disintegrate. Not fire, not violence, release and authenticity. Truth. Is what is and truth is what gets rid of that document. And the the, mm. the document in in the play melts. I don't know how some director's gonna figure that out. But they <laughs> but it melts. <laughs> it's gonna melt. Right. And yes. so and it doesn't exist anymore. And so like the last stage direction in the play is like the tears of her ancestors melts black pain into time. End of play. But it was cathartic and personal and, you know, to, you know, I'm actor studio, right? Like what you're speaking to is that's at the core in my understanding. That's method. That's using your truth in your storytelling to dig deep and affect the artists involved and your audience. That for me is at the core of what's called the method. And it's brave. So I tip cap with the utmost respect, sis, for you being open to sharing that because not everyone would, right? But that's the artistry Mm -hmm. that you represent and that we all came up together. I actually really appreciate so much all the vulnerability you have in telling your story. And I guess I'm learning right now just within this conversation, you know, when we read that quote about individuality and how history will tell all of it, how much we need to value our own stories and how important they are. And whatever we think is so small and tiny and nobody will ever care about, people actually are looking for that connectivity. Mm -hmm. So if you don't share it, then they can't connect to you. You know, it goes back to like everything that you were saying, Nambi, earlier about being a spiritual being and connecting with somebody through spirit, through humanity. It feels like such a simple answer to all the craziness that's happening in the world. Like every day, we practice being authentic with other people. Mm. Practice. You have to practice it. And it's not something that will always come easily, you know, when you're not around people who who actually already know you and love you. But you do have to, in order to change the world, you actually also have to be around people who don't give a shit about you. Right. 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 But you who are you in that? that, that, that. Will change. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And if they don't, you keep moving. You give what you give keep moving. and you keep moving. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. You're talking about the three generations removed, right? Like some, so many people get caught up in this whole kind of concept of like, why just get over the past? Why can't you just get mm. over it? You know, move on. Mm-hmm. That was a hundred years ago. I didn't own no slave. Why are you all mad at me? All, all of that stuff. Yeah. Super quick. Just say um, about the culture of kindness and how work mm-hmm. and kindness are one of the, they're synonymous. Native Son was a commission that came to me because I was so suffering when I lost my mother. Like I was so isolated and alone and had no idea how to deal with that level of grief. Like it was debilitating. And I made a decision in my life. I said, if I know someone is suffering, I am never, I'm gonna be relentlessly in their orbit, right? And there was a woman who was the literary manager at this theater, but she was a peripheral friend, but somebody that I really liked. And she was going through some a loss. And so I just reached out to her every single day. I was like, hey, thinking of you. Hey, here's a heart. You know, just so she didn't feel alone. That's how I got that commission. Because she went back to the theater and she said, so yeah, Nambi Kelly, we should hire her. That's how I got that job. How I got Bel Air was the two showrunners were on a previous show I worked on, my first show. And one of the guys, he this is in 2019, he was upset about something. I don't even remember what it was now. And I pulled him aside into a corner and I prayed over him. I just was like, we're going to speak some life into whatever this situation was. I prayed over him. And he told me recently, he was like, I never forgot that. Now I have a job as a co-producer on a series because he never forgot that in this act of kindness that I'm going to, you know, that I reached out and took care of him as best as I knew how to in that moment. And so I love that just to take it back. I love that what you said about that's how you arm your children to deal with this world. And I pass and I say that also as that's the way to create agency is just be a human being and be kind and reach and treat people with your heart. Nothing else matters to me. Nothing else matters. That's right on. With regards to Bel Air, anytime you tell that story moving forward, I hope you always, and I hope this is meant with the humor intended, but please always begin with, this is the story all about how. <laughs> I got all, I got put on to Bel Air. <laughs> no. oh. <laughs> you guys, this has been this beautiful. this has been so great, and I'm so happy that we got to connect again. I'm looking forward to what we do with Infants of the Spring and what what the truth is about that time and all that brilliance and non-brilliance as we understand the story and that we all get to be Black people, a 360 individual, and that will inspire other people, whatever race, whatever identity, to be a 360 person. It has been an awesome discussion about how do you pass the baton? What do you do when you're in the room? How do you help other people take action? And the simple understanding of culture of kindness is, I just think it's the perfect answer. Empathy, compassion, understanding, truth in self. If you need a moment, go get down with some ducks. Go go take a break. Go walk in nature. Take a moment. Do whatever you need to do. And that's something that I I, I agree with 195%. Find time for self in order to be able to share when you're in the room fully, authentically, and truthfully. 
<sighs> All right. Cheers, everybody. I got to go get another drink. Cheers. This is enough. Uh, it's I, fill, I'm filled I, up. I, Any last cheers. words, Nambi? You two are two of my favorite people in the world. So thank you <laughs> for your brilliance <laughs> and your joy. I just love both of you so much. Nambi, we, love, we you love you. We have the utmost love and respect and admiration of you for you. Thank you so much for taking the time with us this afternoon. And now I think we all should go pour another glass and and think about what we just all talked about right now. Amen. Cheers. 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 Taking action creatively is about using your voice to stake your claim in this time and space. We all have our own stories, our own family's history, our own playground of art, and our own perspectives about whose narrative needs to be told. And it is up to us to reframe, reclaim, and maintain who we are and how we want to be seen. It is up to us to self-support our history. So go, take the torch, use your voice, tell your story, and then let us know where we can read it, see it, and screen it. Cheers, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. And please drink responsibly. This podcast is produced by the Lager Lane Group. We would like to thank Lager Lane Spirits co-producers and writers, Courtney Oliphant and Pepper Chambers Sirachi, co-producer Matthew Sirachi, podcast coordinator AJ Dinsmore, and Liam Allen for their original composition and vocals. We'd also like to thank Podcast Haven and our guest, Nambi E. Kelly. Remember to grab our Bureau 68 recipe and show notes by going to lagrelanespirits.com. We'll see you next time. If you love the cocktail or the episode, Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.